Welcome to The Landing, the podcast that goes into the brush with foresters, contract loggers, and operators of the Pacific Northwest timber industry. Welcome back to The Landing, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Davenport, and this is not recording for some reason. Oh, balls. Oh, yeah, it is recording. All right, we're good. Um <laughs> I'm the host, Jason Davenport, and I'm having um, mental health issues today, apparently. But we're on with uh, James Stone. James, how you doing today? Oh, pretty good. How about you, Jason? Uh, pretty good. I think I got a sunburn. We went to, uh, well, I went to the racetrack yesterday. I'm shooting pictures at Cottage Grove Speedway this year. And uh, oh. that went until like 1230 last night. They had 95 cars down there. Oh, geez. Yeah, so I have like 700 or yeah, 700 photos to go through. Oh, yeah, you got your work cut out for you there. <laughs> yeah, dude, and then we went, I took my daughter to that Dozer Days thing. They had it at the Lane County Fairgrounds today. And yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, but, you know, she didn't really want to drive a digger, but they had a bunch of bottles of sand, and she was like, yeah, I'll go roll around in the dirt and, like, dig holes and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're probably still my kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you are a field mechanic for Three Rivers Cutting? Yes. How long have you been wrenching? Uh, well, it's kind of a funny story, I guess, when it comes to that. Uh, uh, let's see, like, back to, like, my very first job, I was 12. Um, my parents were divorced when I was pretty young, and I, I got pretty fortunate, though, because, like, my mom remarried a logger and my dad's a log truck driver. Um, so I'd spend a lot of time with my dad um, at the Seawolf shop um, out of Granite Falls. It was, it's what came about was I was standing there with my dad and the owner was standing there and they had new license plates to put on these things. Four or five Denver log trucks that they had just bought and set up. And he went on one to put license plates on. He looked at me and asked me if I wanted a job. I said, yeah. And, uh, yeah, starting out 12 years old, started changing oil in log trucks and greasing them and doing whatever I could. And so it's 12, I'm 36 now, so it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Did you uh, go through any kind of, like, college or anything like that to get into, like, working on the diesel trucks? or? Uh, well, the only thing that I did do is I went to uh, the Smith Isle uh, in high school. I did one year of... Uh, diesel mechanic, uh, at Snow Isle, but I didn't really, I didn't really learn a whole lot. The first year they, they taught a lot of basics and I'd already kind of pretty good grasp on the basics and stuff. I, I did learn how to turn the big cam covers though. So, and that was, uh, quite the operation with your cam followers and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, and I worked there for uh, let's see, I worked there until I was 16, and then I had a job at uh, Miller Shingle Company. Oh, man, did I lose you? Oh, hang on a second. I lost you for a minute, James. You did? Yeah. Uh, when you got a job at Miller Shingle Company, that's where we lost you. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I, where I live, I, I don't have super good service. It runs through the Wi-Fi. But, gotcha. It's sounding good, pretty good right now, so. But yeah, when I went to work at uh, Miller Shingle Company, um, pretty big logging outfit uh, out of Granite Falls. They're, they're not around anymore, but uh, I was their truck shop oiler and also was their tire guy. And 
uh, I'm definitely fortunate. I don't have to do very many tires anymore because that, that was, that was some pretty hard work. I was going <laughs> to ask, cause that looks like a very hard on your body type of job. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I was really slow at first. I mean, well, I mean, shoot, I was only 16, you know, but I, I tried, but I ended up getting really good at them, but there was always like that one driver that like wanted, you know, the left rear inside dismounted, flipped around and put on the front driver other side. And it was, it was rotation was hitting forever. But fortunately I don't deal with that anymore. Yeah. Copy that. So I know that you worked at the local deer dealer up there. How did you get in with them? Like what led up to you wanting to go to work for a dealer? Well, uh, see, when I worked at Miller Shingle, I did that till I was 18. And then I decided, well, I'm going to go out in the rigging. So I quit there. I wanted to pursue um, being a logger, which is what I, at the time, that's what I really wanted to do. And I went out and did that for a few weeks. I worked for ALRT Corporation out of Everson. Um, and I realized that that was, that was not my jam. <laughs> I just, I mean, whatever I didn't trip on, I broke or, you know, I lost my hard hat putting, trying to set every single turn. And I mean, it, it was fun, but it just wasn't my thing. So then I, I left there and then I went to work for a construction company and I spent, um, uh, Oh shoot. I think I spent over 10 years there, Oh wow! but it just, I, I wanted more. Um, and there was the local deer dealer, um, their guy that lived close to our shop. He would come out and do stuff for us. And I just always looked up to him like, you know, it's just so cool that they, you know, they have the access to all this information and, and I really want to work there. And, and fortunately they had a listing that came up and I applied for it and got hired on. Right on. Well, um, so was it what you thought, like, you know, did that give you a lot more to learn for a while or? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, uh, I, I took a lot from, from working there and I definitely appreciate everything that I learned and everything that I, that I took from that place. Uh, you know, it was, you know, I, I got to learn how to, you know, read schematics better, uh, understand hydraulic and electrical systems a lot better. Um, I mean, still, you, you know, sometimes you still have to kind of go, you know, caveman and just dig into something with no information and, and go at it. But, um, you know, that was the mentality I had when I got there. Cause you know, I came from somewhere where we didn't have books and we didn't have this, we didn't have that. You know, we just had to go off of, you know, logic and being conclusive and, you know, really figure it out on your own. And then working at the dealer, um, you know, you, you had access to all that stuff and it, it made troubleshooting essentially easier, but I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed, you know, the, the five years that I spent there, I, I definitely took a lot from that place. Um, knowledge wise, it definitely made me, you know, a lot, you know, who I am basically today. That's awesome. So now you're at three reverse and you guys have the complete, it's a full blown logging outfit. How many sides are you taking care of? Uh, well, we're capable of five sides, a road building side. Um, and let's see, we have three log trucks, dump truck, low boy. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a pretty big operation, you know, especially for one guy, but right now we're, uh, you know, we don't have any tower work going, so we just have the two shovel sides and then the log trucks. So it's been pretty lax lately. I, it's, it's been enjoyable. 
fairly manageable, I would assume, as compared to running five sides. Yeah, when you got when you got the towers going and you know, we're building roads and doing this and doing that, I mean it. I mean, essentially, it's, as soon as the tower gets rigged up, I mean, you're I'm pretty much married to it all the time because there's there's always something. <laughs> so, in your job now, like, what does a typical day look like? I guess or a week, maybe like. You're kind of split between shop and field quite a bit, or how's that work? Yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, well, it just it just really depends, really on on how busy we are. But it's it's usually like I'll have some weeks where I'm at the shop for maybe a couple hours just to you know paperwork and ordering parts and following up with people and this and that, and then I'm in the field um, the rest of the time. Uh, but lately, you know, it's been, been pretty half and half, you know, which has been nice. I've been able to, you know, take care of my shop a little bit, organize, catch up on some of the log truck work that's needed to get taken care of lately. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's, I mean, there's, there's days, especially being the only guy that you literally spend all day, you know, going through your inventory and talking to people and ordering parts and getting pricing and emails and talking to the office. It's, uh, sometimes it's even more than a day, but usually it's like at least, you know, once every two weeks, you spend like an entire day on the phone doing paperwork, whatever you got to do. That is something I kind of wanted to dig into with you because like most of that would have been handled. Like if you're working just as a mechanic, like at a dealership or wherever, most of the time you'd have like a parts guy that could get your parts coming and order your stuff and then different people to handle some of that paperwork. So I kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit. I know this podcast is like mostly logging, but scenes as you work for a logging outfit, I kind of wanted to dig in some more to the mechanic side of stuff. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I hear you there that, and you know, I'm, I'm also out there, you know, if I go out to a job and you know, I'd, let's just say a processor breaks down. I go out there, I fix it. And you know, we're, we're shorthanded just like everybody is. And you know, I'll, I'll jump on a shovel and load the next round of trucks out. I'll jump on the skitter and, you know, go out and drag logs. I'll get in a shovel and go out and shovel log. I mean, they, they kind of have me do like, you know, basically any, anything that, that needs to be done right now. And if I'm there, there's no words even asked. I'll just jump on something and just go out and do it until, you know, everything's freed up and then I'll get back in my truck and go about my day, you know, depending on how many hot fires I got going. But no, that's pretty cool though, that you can do all that stuff. And I would imagine every now and then it's kind of a nice break just to go grab the sticks on a shovel and pinch some logs for a couple hours. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a, a nice little break. That's for sure. It's, it's, it's hard to do it for a couple hours without having at least two or three phone calls, you know, and then you got your phone up against your, up against your shoulder and you're out there trying to shovel log and also trying not to break anything. Cause you know, I'm not a professional operator. I know if I break it, something happens, I can fix it. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, I think that's one of the big differences too, of working for an outfit, you know, being an in-house guy and not being an in-house guy is like, like you're saying, if you need to go run a scooter for an hour or something, that's something you could do. Yep. Yep. They've had me in the dump truck. I've been in the low boy truck. I've, I've, I've done just about everything that we do. Um, the only thing that I haven't done is 
I haven't like, you know, physically yarded logs to any of the yarders. You know, I, I run the yarders, but I haven't done that yet. Oh, gotcha. I think I would be a little nervous doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely would be too, you know, especially with all the, all the guys you got on the ground and everything. It would be a little, little nerve wracking at first. Yeah, for sure. So then the other day too, I seen on uh, Instagram, I think it was, you put a new set of knives on a Wartaw head. Yeah, uh, that was, those walls look pretty huge, good, dude. That was a huge recharge of batteries that day, man. Like, really? That was so great. I mean, we were, we were at the end of that job. I knew the knives needed to be done. Um, and, uh, there was nobody there. It was a Friday. You just show up, man. Just put your, put your music on, start air arcing. Everything cleaned up. Nobody bothered you. It just, it was, it was great. Yeah. And I was just, I was going to bring my LN 25, but it was a little bit windy that day. So I just decided I'll just, uh, run seventy eighteen and mow it in there, man. People look at me cross-eyed sometimes like I'll weld those with seventy eighteen in the shop just cause I know that they're not coming off. Oh yeah, exactly. But I also wanted to get into this too, because you're a field mechanic. That is what you do. You know, it's what you've done for a living for a long time now. And here you are, Eric and off, uh, DLM knives on a Warsaw and weld them back on dude. And your welds look great. Where did you learn how to weld? Is that just something that came with the territory along the way? Yeah. Um, I, I did learn a lot of my welding, um, from a friend of mine, Dan Visage. Uh, I worked with him at the construction company and he was a really good welder. And, uh, cause basically, you know, when I, when I started working there, it was, you know, I wasn't even 19 yet and they threw me in a shop truck. I mean, it was nothing special. It was like a 1982 F 800, you know, no crane, huge Lincoln diesel welder on it and stuff. And it was just, you know, my boss at the time was like, you know, you know, anything you need to weld in the field right now, he's like, just, just scab it together to get it in the shop so the welders can deal with it. And I didn't really like that. I wanted to be able to weld something to where it wouldn't have to go to the welders. So I, I practiced a lot. Um, it was a lot of self teaching. And then, you know, when I went to work at the deer dealer, I actually kind of became, you know, their welder. Like, <laughs> like right. I was, I was the field guy, but they would have me come in early or, or stay late or work a weekend just to, to get a welding project out. You know, like there's this 470 G when you need to put this thumb on, it's like, all right, well, <laughs> all I'm doing is welding and you got it. Somebody else doing the plumbing, like no problem. Right. No, I just, and it was um, kind of something I just kind of brought up over time and kind of learned as I went really. Yeah. But you were never afraid to get in there and do it. No. And I, I also owe, um, my other friend, Isaac Hall, I, I owe him a lot too. Cause I, I go to him with questions and stuff and I, you know, Isaac. Yeah. That dude's um, a wizard I, with heavy equipment repair. Yeah. He, uh, he comes to me with all the technical stuff. I come to him with, uh, any sort of interesting welding that I'm not quite sure exactly what I got to do, you know, gusset wise or, you know, because ultimately every repair that, you know, we want that we do, you know, we want to, to last essentially forever. So, and, yeah. and Isaac is really, really good with that. Yeah. It makes a big difference, man. Like, so <clears throat> I work with a lot of younger guys, like at, during my job at the local deer dealer and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, some of these guys, they come up like through the apprenticeship program or intern program, whatever they call it. And, uh, I'm like, Hey dude, like you could weld that. 
And they're like, no, 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 you're the welder. And I'm like, hey, man, you're trying to get your CDL. You're trying to get a field truck. Like, my opinion of being a field guy is, like, at least you can do is get it together to get on low boy and get it to the shop or whatever, you know? But Yeah, exactly. Like, you're a really good example of that, of a guy that's kind of taken pride in being able to be that one-stop field service field. If it's broken, I'll fix it, weld it, like... And I just wanted to kind of dig into that. And I, I really like how your attitude towards it is like, you just want to be able to make it right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the turning point for me, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, when it, when it came to the welding is I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I worked at this uh, construction company, I was, I don't know, probably an hour or two from the shop. I was way down in Newcastle. I was working on a D8K. And, uh, it had a leak on the transmission pump and it was where the hard line came up and the hard line on those caps, you know, they're like, they got a hard line and then they like, basically, you know, they braise it to like a cast piece that, you know, your flange and your O-rings are on. Yep. And it was cracked around there. And I, I didn't know, you know, I had, I had no idea. I think I might've been 20 maybe at that point, maybe 21. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. Let's turn my welder down and I'll grab like some. 60 10 or something, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what, pretty sure that's what Danny told me. If anything's dirty, you know, 60 10. So I yeah. went in there and I made the biggest hole in that pipe. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was unrepairable at that point. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, and I ended up calling Danny uh, on the next trail, walkie talkies, you know, I was like, Danny, I screwed up. I don't know what to do. You need to come down here. And he drove down there and he cleaned it up. He raised everything together. I didn't even have breathing around it. I didn't even know what it was. I was like, I've, I've seen people do it, but I didn't know I had to keep it. Right. And that was like the turning point for me of like, okay, I really need to understand like metals and stuff because this just costed us a lot of time, a lot of money to have him come down and fix, you know, and what it was. And it was, you know, Miles St. Helen's crater when I got done with it. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of the turning point for me where it's like, you know, I really need to, you know, practice at home or, or just, you know, do whatever I can and try to figure out how to weld better. Yeah. I just, <clears throat> I went to college for welding. So it's kind of a different story for me. Like I know how to brace. It's one of those things I'm really rusty with, but at my last job, I worked for a little independent repair company and we had a main boom lift cylinder off of a 370 link belt. And those are the sockets for the return uh, hard line on the cylinder. Those yeah. are all brazed in on that vintage of machine. So they brought it in mm-hmm. like, hey, can you weld this up real quick? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And I wire wheel the paint off of it. And I look at them and I'm like, hey, this is going to be a little bit longer than like a 15 minute weld job. Like. I got to get this cleaned up. <laughs> I got to go get a rosebud, like get the socket hot enough to braise to, you know, but it's yep. one of those things. It's kind of a lost art, but when you can use it to get your ass out of a tea kettle, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've braised so much stuff now, especially working for three rivers. Um, like we had, uh, see, I think it was the hallback drum on the Skagit. It's got that flange on there. Um, where the brake band goes, it's got a little, little flange that comes up, that keeps the brake band from falling off. And there was a chunk that was broke off and you know, it's, it's cast. And I'm like, well, I can try to weld it. And I was like, well, I'm just going to breathe it. Yeah. And I breathe it. And 
I mean, it was a huge nice chunk. I found the chunk and it was down in the frame, buried in tacky lube. I mean, just like mountains of tacky lube in there. Cleaned everything up, threw it on there, braised it, and it's still going. <laughs> yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with working on yarders, I would like for you to kind of explain just how disgusting tacky lube is and what it's for. Oh, it's awful. I've, uh, I've literally been standing out in a snowstorm with my shirt off as people are hosing me down with free clean. I know that that's not, that's not really the safe way to go, but it's, it's essentially like the only thing that gets it off your skin. It, it destroys your clothes because it soaks through um, coveralls, a hickory shirt, and a, and a regular t-shirt, and my woolies all the way to my skin. <laughs> buried in the yarder with that stuff. So now I wear a rain gear, and it's, as soon as I'm, as soon as I get out of the rain gear, I'll take it to the shop, steam clean my rain gear, throw it back in my truck. I don't even screw with it anymore. I mean, I got to buy more rain gear every year now, but it's it's worth it. Yeah, I think it's worth it, and not having to throw every piece of clothing you had on that day away. Yeah, exactly. Fortunately, too, we we also have a, a washer and dryer at the shop, so when we get if it's if it's real nasty, I'll just throw it in there, and it, it gets it gets most of the stuff off before I take it home. Because I think my wife would kill me if I destroyed our washer with something. Well, not destroy the washer, destroy the clothes to go in next. Yeah. We went through a spell of that at our house, like before I, before I started working places that supplied coveralls, it was like, you get two years out of a washer and dryer max. Oh yeah, exactly. So what's your advice for like people that might want to be getting into, you know, being a heavy equipment mechanic or anything like that? Like, what do you think is going to be their best route these days? Well, I mean it's always good to we're working at any dealer is always good. But I, I, I always try to tell people better to start there. Um, it's, it's always good to start somewhere where, where you have nothing. You're essentially on a deserted Island. You have nothing. It really forces you to get creative and really figure out what the problem is being conclusive. Make sure that your fix is what the problem was. Um, you know, figuring out root causes of things, you know, instead of changing parts. Um, that, that's, that's a talent that you have to develop on your own, um, I feel, before you go to, like, a dealer where literally all the information's right there. You just need to understand what you're reading. Um, and if you have those simple concepts of being a mechanic, um, you know, all the information that you get, if you do end up going to a dealer are going to make a lot more sense and you're just going to skyrocket from there. Yeah. I've kind of noticed that too. Cause I, like I said before, I work with some guys that they've come up through all these programs and stuff and like they learn how to troubleshoot and how to repair things with all of that information available, like yeah. through what is it? Service advisor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get an off-brand piece of iron in the shop, and they're like, "Well, I don't know what to do." And I'm just like, "Well, what would you do on this?" <laughs> you know, like it sounds like an injector is stuck or not firing, or you got a dead cylinder. Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of ways to diagnose things that don't always involve like the computer. But sometimes people, I think, get comfortable doing things one way, and it's just like 
Man, if you want to be in the field, like, especially like with what you're doing now, you've got so many different kinds of equipment and some of that stuff, I'm sure there's not even like manuals left for some of the yarders and the older stuff. Yeah, no, there's, there's not like we had, uh, uh, we had one job that it, uh, it, it, everything on this job was perfect. You know, it was perfect layout. You had perfect lift. You were logging beautiful wood. So something was bound and determined to go wrong. So we, <laughs> we logged for like a week and lost the engine. Uh-oh. Big, big D, D343 cat lost the engine. And, and is, is what happened was they, they had a turn and it hit, hit a stump and it jarred the yarder and those big radiators, those steel radiators, it, it jarred the yarder enough for all the rust in the top of that upper uh, tank fell down on top of all the fins inside the radiator and then they overheated it. Oh no. And it, and it completely destroyed it. It was not doing good. By the time I got there, it was, it was not good. It was weird though, because I was troubleshooting it and I'm like, well, I'm looking at my differential temperature in my radiator and my differential temperature is, it's perfect, but it's hot. You know, it's like 230 instead of being 190. You know, it's like, what is going on here? And I just started digging in. Well, it turns out, you know, I can figure out the radiator thing. And, but, you know, it's not, that's just, you know, you got to take the drive chain off. You got to unbolt the sled. We had a big stack of logs, drag the whole engine and everything out. I think that was a 20 hour day. Me and one of the owners, Steve Scaglin, he was there with me. We pulled that engine out. We went down to Nielsen Brothers shop and Cedar Molly pulled an engine out of their scavenger that we had bought the engine from and then drove all the way back up there, swapped the engines out on the sled and it was ready to go back in in one day. We didn't have, we didn't put it all the way in cause it was like, it's time for a beer and a hot dog. Let's get out of here. You know? Right. And then we made it, uh, two weeks after that and, uh, lost the Wichita. So went up there, swapped that out. Uh, three days after that, I lost a uh, number four cylinder in the 518 cat skitter. So then I went up there again, pulled the front axle out from it, rebuilt that engine up there on the job. And then two weeks later, the main shaft snapped in the Skagit. And that was a huge project that I also owe Isaac a lot for too. Um, because these murder shafts, uh, it's, it's like Skagit used like military surplus stuff. Okay. Cause I had, I had four shafts all out of BU 84s and every single one of them was different, different keyways, different, um, step downs, different lengths. I mean, it was, it was crazy. So I ended up finding one that was, you know, within reason. Um, but Isaac and I had to build a lot of stuff. Well, Isaac, well, we, <laughs> Isaac built it, you know, but we had to shim, uh, let's see what we have to do. The haywire I was stuck out further, so we had to make a, a, a giant spacer for a haywire friction and the brake band. And there was just so much stuff involved there with that thing. And, but yeah, there's, but there was no books. I called Bob, uh, down at modern cause he's kind of the, the only one left really. And real knowledgeable with that stuff. And I, I had a simple question for him. I just said, what's your uh, tolerance on these bearings on the main shaft? Like, what do you, what, what, what should your, what should you set them up as? He's like, uh, I don't know. You just kind of, just kind of set them up. Just kind of get a feel. Oh no. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, I guess that's what we're going to do. 
but that was quite the experience doing that. But, you know, cause Isaac and I, neither one of us had ever been that deep into a Skagit and here we are, you know, and all these older guys that have been running them for years are just looking at us to, to fix it. You know, they, they didn't really have any advice other than good luck. That's the crazy stuff, but, man. Like you just have to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. uh, I like doing this question too. What is one of your least favorite jobs to do that you've done? Uh, well, I mean, if you want to go after a generic part of it, it's working on log trucks. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. I just, there's, it's always something, you know, my seat squeaks, this marker light's not working. This isn't working. And it's always this stupid little piddly stuff. And it's like, it's every single day, right? but they're, they're a necessary evil though. Oh, so. yeah. I helped yeah. a guy change a transmission out of a wide hood T 800 one day. And I signed oh, yeah. up for his like a Saturday gig. He's like, you want to come in and help? And I was like, yeah. And it quickly turned into, uh, my big ass don't fit very good underneath the truck. So it was more like, Hey, if you need tools or whatever, I'm right up here looking through the hole in the floor. Like, <laughs> yep. there ain't a whole lot of room in some of those things like to get up and around and work on them. Yeah. And I'd say equipment wise, um, probably my least favorite thing is, is having to do with adjusting or replacing or rebuilding or anything the driveline clutch and an 071 Medill. If it's still in the factory spot and it's like a World War II vintage uh, clutch, it's absolutely miserable. You got to climb in, you got to go underneath a very small uh, cross member that's that's right underneath all the bull gears with all that tacky lube and everything is full of tacky lube, full of water and you got to crawl underneath there. It's, it's a nightmare. i I've had to pull ours in and out quite a few times before I finally said enough is enough. And I re-engineered it slightly to where it wouldn't foul up nearly as often as it did. And also put an idiot light on the dash that tells the, uh, yarder engineer like, Hey, the clutch is engaged. Stop yarding logs just in case of clutch. But there's a lot of stuff that was 71 that I'd like to do. Um, I talked with, uh, Nelson Beckabar. Um, with Beck of our logging and trucking a lot. He's, he's a, a really, really smart, smart guy, really smart mechanic, super good guy. He did a lot of stuff for the row 71 that I'd like to do to ours someday too. That just makes it so much better. It seems but like ours too. is doing, ours is pretty good though. It's got the, we put uh 300 Komatsu hydraulic undercarriage underneath it. Yeah, I haven't heard very many good things about those tank bottoms. No, thank God we don't have those anymore. Because anything goes wrong, it just freewheels in neutral. You just take off. I mean, they're not fun. That's less than desirable, really. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you guys but our have link like, belt. Go ahead. All our link belt uh, LS ninety eight. We we use that for yarding to a little corners and things like that and it's only me and steve that know how to run it and it's i had my own scare in it too i 
unloaded it off the low boy trailer and I was walking it up the hill and I was sitting over there and I started kind of daydreaming or whatever you want to do, whatever you want to call it. I'm so they're looking at Johnny who's out there shovel logging. I'm like, Oh yeah, look at that. And then I hit the wrong, I, I did the wrong sequence of levers, which essentially puts it into neutral Uh-oh. and it started freewheeling backwards, uh, really fast at our brand new Peterbilt low boy truck that's hooking back up to the low boy. I talk about panic mode. Oh man. I was able to stop it and everything was fine, but that's a, that's a fun old machine. We repowered that too. We, we put an 83 Cummins with the Allison automatic that we got out of a school bus. We put in that, got rid of the old 671 Detroit. So you guys just have that set up like a jammer type of deal. This, uh, yeah, Christy carriage. Oh, okay. Yeah. We just run a Christy carriage on it. Um, we do have the grapples where, you know, we can, which we have done that in the past where we've just hauled that machine up there and just yarded these little, little corners and stuff and then throw the grapples on them, load trucks. That's cool. Is it pretty neat still running one of those every now and then? Because that's like, that's old school logging gear right there. No, oh, yeah, that's that's my favorite piece of iron on the claim right there. It's, it's, it's a blast to run. It's, it's not very fun when it's, you know, either really cold or really hot because you're, <laughs> you're going to be either overheating or freezing to death. Right. Yeah, they don't really have the creature comforts of the new machines. No, no, that they don't. <laughs> it does have a stereo in it though, and a really nice stereo. So that's 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 one good good thing about it. That's definitely a plus. Mm-hmm. So carrying on with the equipment stuff, is your guys' fleet like pretty modern for the most part? Like the shovels yeah. and cats and stuff. Yeah, it it is for the most part. Um, we do have some older stuff. We've got a you know, we have a six forty eight G two skitter, which it has. I just rebuilt the engine in that. It's got 18,000 on it, but it's, it's such a good skitter. I absolutely love that John Deere skitter. I was going to say most people Uh, that have those really speak highly of them. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a a very impressive machine. Um, we have an older cat D four skitter. We had an old five eighteen. Um, we got a Medill 1800 with a 622 Warta on it, which the Warta, I installed that when I worked at the deer dealer. Um, and it's a 2014 model for the 360. Um, the Medill itself, though, it's got 20, 22,000 on it, which I just rebuilt the engine, rebuilt, went through the pumps, everything on that. That's a really good machine. Super, super simple engineering with that Medill, and it works fantastic. Dude, very, so very impressive. I've line board on a couple of Medills recently and finally like got the chance like to crawl around and look at them kind of in depth under the hood. Yeah. They were onto something, dude. Like they, they definitely were, you know, everything's routed where you're not falling around, falling down when you're underneath the hood, like with the hoods up, you know, like you're not really cramped too bad. Like it's pretty easy. Like there's the engine, there's your pumps, there's your fuel tank, there's your hydraulic tank, anything that can go wrong. It's either right here or right here, you know? Yeah, exactly. No. And it's, it, and like that 1800 is pretty impressive in itself because it's, it's, it's a decent sized machine. I, I can't remember what it weighs. It's 70 something or possibly 80, but, um, it's just got a little 24 valve five, nine Cummins, a little industrial version of a Dodge pickup engine. Right. And, 
it, it, it goes like hell too. It never miss a beat, but the rest of our stuff is, is fairly modern. I'd say, I mean that, that, well, that processor, I just put those knives on, uh, those are the factory knives that I just cut off. That it's got 3,800 hours on it. And so that looked like a G series machine. Yeah, that's a 2654 gotcha. G. Then we have a, uh, 3156G, a 3756G, a 2454 with a 623 on it. That one's got, oh, probably, I think it's got like 14,000 on it now. Gotcha. And then we do have uh, two Timco 445s. One of them's a D and one of them's a C. Both have 18,000 on them, but those, those bunchers are just animals. Yeah, everyone, like, you go over like Eastern Oregon and every, every buncher is a Temco. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. And yeah. Like I hadn't seen very many of them around here. There are a few guys that have them, but like everybody I talked to over East, they're like, man, you got to get a Temco. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, dude, there's a lot of bunchers on the market nowadays. And they're like, yeah, you need a Temco. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, the Timcos, I, I, I didn't like them at first, but um, after running them and, and seeing what they can do and, and working on them there. I, I like them. The problem is, is the parts are getting so hard to come by anymore. And the parts that you can get are starting to get pretty spendy. Um, but that's why we purchased that, that timber pro. Cause it's a Pat Crawford machine, which is who developed and built the Timco. Oh, gotcha. Um, and the timber pro so far that, that, uh, was the seven fifty five B West coast, uh, that that's been a, absolute awesome machine it's it's very very impressive there's a few things i would probably change on it but they're so simple little minute little things that you know most people probably wouldn't even notice but that's been a really really good machine to us so far Um, granted it's still new you know we only have i think maybe 1700 hours on it now but it's uh it's been a good machine uh then we have two of those 225 deucons uh everyone Everyone will talk crap about a Dusan, but <laughs> those little buggers, they fire up and go every day. Never have a problem. They both have, I think, 10,000 hours on them now. Dude, I worked I've, with I've this guy. rebuilt the yeah, grapples on them more times. Than anything else? Mm-hmm. I worked with this guy doing that uh, hazard tree stuff, and he's bought a couple of Dusans now, and I was asking him last time I was out with him, I'm like, man, why, you know, why did you get a on like, just seems everybody talks their smack about those things. And he's like, dude, we're not like shovel logging with them. He's like, they're mostly feeding grinders. And he's like, this one's got however many hours on it. It hasn't had one down day. And I'm like, yeah, well, Hey, <laughs> you're definitely getting your money's worth out of something like that. If you're not having any downtime. Yeah. I don't think we've, we've never had a down day with, uh, either one of ours either. I mean, we've had little stuff here and there. Um, the one thing that I noticed with them, um, like loading out, loading trucks with them <clears throat> is they'll, uh, you have to kind of, you really got to walk yourself into the road. I mean, I, again, this is coming from a mechanic. I, I'm, I, I don't claim to be an operator whatsoever, but they just, they, they feel like they, like if there's a marble on the road and your grousers on it, you're going to be tipping on it, you know? Yeah. So you got to kind of walk yourself into the road and you have a considerably shorter boom. So you got to, you got to kind of set yourself up, you know, and put logs in the ditch and, you know, it just makes it easier for loading trucks. But again, not an operator. That's just how I always do it. 
Well, and two, if you're going to be loading off of that job with that machine, that's how you're just going to set yourself up, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I kind of wanted to dive into some more mechanic stuff, like your truck. That's a T300? Uh, T370. Oh, actually, gotcha. just got them off. Gotcha. So I kind of want to dig into, like, how you have that set up. So your crane is on the passenger side? Yeah, yep. And then, so I'm assuming that you probably keep most of your everyday tools in the front cabinet on the driver's side. Yeah, I keep, I keep, yeah, pretty much everything on the, on the driver's side. Um, you got your main, main first cabinet. Uh, it's, it's got the majority of, of, of what a guy needs. But the thing is to be though is like, I put like all my ratchets and all that stuff, like over the wheel well on the driver's side. Cause a lot of them are a lot longer and, you know, that's just a bigger storage toolbox right there. Okay. And, uh, it, like if I'm working with somebody who's not used to my truck, I'm like, Hey, you know, go grab me my long handle three ratchet. They're, you know, naturally they're going to the first cabin on the driver's side and they're danger. And they get, yeah. You know, eventually I just got to get off and go grab it myself because it's easier than explaining it. <laughs> that's one of the interesting things that I've found with mechanics, right? Is like, I'm just a welder. I was in a field truck for a while for an independent outfit that did like rock crushing and stuff. And like yep. my truck was set up a lot different cause it was just a pickup, like a one ton pickup. Yeah. And like I'm welding most of the time when I'm out in the field and then it kind of grew into some more wrenching that I, you know, I'm not a mechanic, but I figured most of it out, but like working now for the last I don't know, four and a half, five years or so, like at pretty dedicated repair shops. It's interesting to see how different guys set their trucks up differently. Yeah. And like for my truck, I've, let's see, I've had mine set up the same way, uh, for over 15 years. I've, I've always, every time I've gotten a new truck or went to work somewhere else, I still set my truck up the exact same way. And when I worked at the, uh, the local deer dealership, I had my other, this other kid that had come in, uh, his name was Cody. And I really seen a lot of, uh, I, I, I seen it in him that he was going to be someone, he was going to be a good tech one of these days. So I brought him under my wing and he was with me all the time in my truck. And now that he's in a truck, which he's been in a truck now for quite a few years, but his truck is set up the exact same way as mine. <laughs> It's funny because if he ever has to come out and do any warranty work or anything on any of our equipment, he knows where my stuff is and I know where his stuff is because it's the exact same truck. That's funny. So what, I guess but, that's a good segue into that, I, is um, like what did you see in him? Like for people that may be new in the trade or wanting to come up into the mechanic side of things, like what did you see in him that told you like this kid's going to make it? he wasn't scared. He, he, he wasn't scared of, of, of anything. Like I, I would ask him, I'd be like, all right, this is what, this is what we got going on. I need you to do this, this and this while I'm over here doing this. He didn't have a clue what he was doing, but he was working really hard. He was trying his best and he always, he always figured it out, but he never, I just told him to jump in there and do it. He would just jump in there and do it. Um, it was also extremely helpful that he was half my size. 
because if we had to, you know, change like an AC pump on a on a three seventy Hitachi Forester, he could he could literally climb between that six HK Azuzu and the counterweight and just sit there and take the pump off. Like I got to stand on my head to do that. Right. Yeah, so that was super super handy to have that. But you know, he was really personable. I got along with him really well. Um, we made fun of each other a lot. You know, flip flip each other crap all the time. But, uh, no, I just, I, I seen a lot of enthusiasm and I knew that this was what he wanted to do. Right. I just, you know, <clears throat> I worked with this kid one time. He was a younger guy and the shop gave him a chance, you know, and they had him emptying trash ban- bins and, you know, sweeping the floor, cleaning the oil off of stuff. And he just thought that a lot of that was kind of below him. And I was like, man. If you don't know anything, that's where you're going to start. Yeah, and that's that's how uh, that's how Cody was too, because he had he'd worked on a at a local farm through high school, and then he was also going to the community college uh, for diesel mechanics, and he had gotten his <clears throat> job job with us at the deer deer dealership, and that's what he was doing. He was emptying garbage cans, sweeping floors, steam cleaning equipment, and uh, I don't know. He was just, he was always busy. You'd always have to go get him for break time or lunch time. Yeah. That's you know, cool. he was, and that was another thing that I noticed is like, like I would, you know, we'd all be sitting around, you know, at, at break time, like in the summertime, <clears throat> we would sit outside at a picnic table. It'd be break time, you know, and I'd be like, uh, did anybody go say anything to him? They're like, no, he's got a phone. It's like, eh, well, come on. I'd walk over there and go grab be Like, come on, man, let's grab your nose bag. <laughs> right. No, this kid that I was referring to, it was totally the opposite with him. He was, I, like, he came down, he's like, hey, man, do you want to teach me how to weld? And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, I come in at 6, usually off by 2.30 or 3.30. Like, if you want to hang out after work, I'll teach you some stuff. Like, because I used to teach classes at the local community college at night. Like, I know how to teach people how to weld, especially if there's someone that's going to listen. And Yeah. Uh, and then, like, the shop got kind of slow for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, if you get all your stuff done, then, like, you can come down here after lunch and I'll show you some stuff while I'm welding grousers or something. And it was like, there was just no motivation. Like, I was just like, man, I, I don't even, I'm not going to take my time to, like, help a guy out if they're not even willing to, like, hustle through their mundane tasks to get to something that they said they wanted to work on learning, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, I feel the same way. I've got a younger kid in my shop right now. Um, and he's really good kid works hard. If I'm out in the field, he shows up after school. He doesn't call me, text me or anything. Usually like he'll send me a text. Is there anything specific that you would like me to do? And if I answer him or, you know, if I have anything for him, I'll tell him if I don't, I say just, just do your normal stuff, man. Like, he stays busy the whole time. Shops clean, oil, all the oil jugs are full. Hydraulic oils jugs are full. Um, if there's something to steam clean, he's out there doing it. Uh, and I, I, I really wanted to teach him a lot more about being a mechanic. And cause I was like, Oh man, this, this guy could possibly like put me like more in the office and kind of take over a lot of this heavier stuff that I'm doing that, you know, like eventually, because eventually, you know, doing what we do, being a welder, a mechanic, um, you know, our bodies are only going to let us do this so long. 
Yeah. So we, we have to look slightly ahead to figure out, you know, what we're going to do, like when we can't do it anymore. You know, because I mean, that was another thing that I got preached at a lot when I was younger was don't jump off those tracks. Don't do this. Don't do that. Make yourself comfortable. Like grab a bag of diapers, you know, set your knees on it instead of kneeling on those tracks, you know, doing exhaust does and stuff. And, you know, being young, I'd always be like, oh yeah, no problem. But I'd keep doing it because I, you know, I felt that it, the harder I worked, the, the better it looked, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it probably did. But yeah, no, it's, but he, uh, after talking to him, he's, he's going to go to lineman school. So, which, you know, more power to him if that's what he wants to do. I just, uh, I appreciate his help, you know, as it is, you know, being as young as he is and that he shows up every day on time, um, and, and does a good job and works hard. Yeah. I don't know why it's so hard to find kids like that, but like the last it's, couple it's that have been cool. around, it's, you know, they take, half a day off and then they don't come in the next day and then payday rolls around and they're like, I don't make any money here. I'm like, dude, you worked yeah. 27 hours last pay off. No wonder you don't have any money. Yeah. No call, no show. <laughs> yeah. My truck's broke down. I can't come in. Yeah. And see, that was another thing too with, with, uh, with Cody that I worked with. Um, like I would, I'd tell him like, Hey man, this Saturday we have a, I got a wiring harness. I got to change on this processor, like, you know, way up North mountain or wherever it may be. Um, you know, are, are you interested to come help me and we can just bang it out in the day. I'll, I'll buy you lunch or whatever. And he literally be like, yeah, no problem. And he would drive from his house all the way to my house, which was, you know, there was an hour and 15 minutes apart with his own vehicle on his own time just to come here and go with me in my shop truck to, to go out and do this stuff. He's another reason why the first time I went to Alaska, I brought him with me for these Hitachi pits that we had to do up there. I did want to dig into that too. So you went there quite a bit for that stuff, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I used to do, uh, it was, it was pretty much like two to three weeks a year. I would spend, uh, up in Alaska, uh, mainly for evergreen timber out on a fog neck Island. I'd go up there and, you know, they'd, they'd have like a new machine or they they basically want me there with the computer. And, uh, yeah, at first when I went up there, it was the frame pips on the three seventies and, uh, you had to pull the counterweight off and do all this. And Cody and I, we, we went up, we flew up there at a huge layover in, in Anchorage, high winds, couldn't get to Kodiak. And then we finally were able to get to Kodiak and then we spent the night in Kodiak and then went to Andrews Airways, got on a float plane, went out to a fog neck. And, uh, we, we were actually able to do two machines in one day. We pulled the counterweights off the two, three seventies, welded the plates on, but except for the last machine, I was, I was welding the plate on and Cody was there on, on fire duty. And I think it was probably one o'clock in the morning at this point or maybe midnight, but he was freezing to death and he, he's like, we need to stop. I kept telling him, no, 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 let's just get this done. We'll put the counterweight on in the morning. He went and shut the welder off and said, we're stopping. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right. So then we went and went into the bunkhouse and got about two, three hours of sleep, went back out and finished it up. And then we were back on a plane and back into, back into Kodiak the next, next morning, basically. But, uh, yeah, I went up there quite a bit. Usually I go up there and the actual uh, initial thing that I'd have to go out there for, you know, you know, calibrate something or, or, uh, you know, put in some calibration codes for injectors or whatever it may be, or just a few questions. And then 
that would only be like half a day. And then I would end up just being in the shop truck with, uh, with their head mechanic, Tyler. And I would just be out there with him working on everything. Their link belt strokers and their processors and just, just everything. It was a super cool experience. Um, lots of really big bears out there. Really? Giant bears. Huh. I mean, they literally look like a Volkswagen bug running through the brush. <laughs> That's wild, man. That's a pretty cool experience though. Just being able to go up there and work on some stuff, spend some, just spending time up there. Even if you are working, it's still Alaska is one of those places that's just kind of untamed still. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I called it a work vacation. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's, that's pretty much what it was. Uh, we had, uh, we had, we had this one day we were going out and Tyler, uh, bless his heart. He, he had had, uh, medical issues when he was younger. He's an older guy. I think he's, he was probably in his late sixties at the time, but when he was younger, he had an issue, I think with his pancreas or something like that, but he was diabetic. And so his schedule was different than mine. You know, I'm up at five in the morning, like waiting for him and he'd show up work at noon and he'd work all night long. But, oh, wow. So we're in, a, it, we're in his shop truck and we're just kind of tootling down the road. Um, pretty soon this bear runs out of the brush and, goes down the road and then stops. We stopped the shop truck and it stood up on its back feet and turned towards us. And it was taller than the shop truck. Yeah. I'm going to pass. I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty intense. And I was like, Oh man, I'd never seen that before. You know, I thought it was cool. And this now that we go to one job and, and, uh, work on that machine. And you know, you, you could hear, you know, rustling around and things like that. We go to the next job you hear the same thing. And then we get to the third job. It's dark. I open my laptop up about to plug in the machine and Tyler closes my laptop and goes, that's it. Let's go. I was like, what? I didn't get a chance to do anything. And he goes, man, I've been on this island a long time. That was the same bear on three different machines. That's my rule of three times. I'm out. Cause it's hungry. Whoa. I was like, okay, yeah. I will take your advice on that. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, it was interesting to see how they logged up there too. Like I, they, cause the ground is just so swampy. You got to punch everywhere. They literally would, they'd bring in like two or three shovels and they would shovel log the entire unit and they would bring it right to the road and stack it as high as they could stack it for as far as you could see. And then those shovels would leave and then they bring in two processors that would 24 hour shift right on the road and just process wood Whoa. because the, the ground is was was so so wet and so marshy out there that the processors would just sink into, they would just sink if they sat out in the brush like you know like ours do. Yeah. Huh. That's crazy, dude. I was up in Port Angeles last summer uh, for doing some photography work, and uh, we were out there west of town, and I never spent any time in the woods up there. And it, mm-hmm. it really reminded me of like where I've been in like Eastern BC where everything's just straight up and down all the way to the bottom, all the way to the top. Like all the mountaintops are like rock, you know, it's above the tree line and stuff. And I was like, man, this is crazy. But what I noticed with up there compared to down here is they log differently too. So like, it's kind of neat to hear this kind of stuff. Cause there's a million ways to skin a cat when it comes to logging and like different areas. It seems like different things work better. Yeah. And you know, and that's, that's a lot of the ways 
you know, like our, our area in Darrington or, you know, you go up Marble Mountain or you go further up north in the Deming and stuff. It's, it's a lot of the same stuff. I mean, it's straight up and down rock cliffs and, you know, areas where you, you can't tether, like you have to have manpower. It's, it's, you either have to have manpower or you're not logging it. Right. Um, you know, and that's, that's a lot of the difference, you know, like when we, when we talk to salesmen and they're like, Oh yeah, you guys really need to do tether. You need to do this, you do that. It's like, well, you know, a lot of our ground, like I'd, you might be able to tether some of it, but most of it, no. Right. That's like, you know, there's a lot of like pretty primo tethering ground. Cause the, you know, you've got pretty good dirt on most of this stuff. It's not too rocky. Most of the time, obviously there's exceptions to that. It oh, might yeah. be steep as shit, but like you can tether pretty steep ground if you've got good enough dirt but like up where you're talking about even um where was i um just east of enumclaw like even some of that ground up there is pretty rocky and broke up and it's just like you know last time i was up there they were tethering but i couldn't get below them to take pictures because there's like three foot boulders kicking out. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to get up here like seven hours from my house and get smucked by a boulder. (laughs) That ain't worth it either. No, 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 it's not. How about now? Oh yeah. There you go. Uh, (laughs) So, but yeah, I mean, It's it's just crazy how different everything is. Yeah, it definitely is. But, um, did you get any of that other part about Alaska? I didn't. Oh yeah, I I went up there once again too for Pacific Pile and Marine to Chignik, Alaska. You ever heard of that place? Yeah, I think so. It's uh, I don't recommend going there. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't wasn't my best experience, but. It was cool. I, I met a lot of cool people. It was, uh, they were putting in a ferry terminal and I had to do some, some work on a few things up there. And, but I mean, I had blisters on my cheeks from the winds off Bering Sea. There's no paved roads, no gas stations. There's, there's no nothing. Um, but, uh, little did I know I worked three 12 hour days and I was double time prevailing wage and I didn't even know it. Well, that's not terrible then. No, it wasn't terrible. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I'll never go back, but it was a, it was a fun experience nonetheless. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> that that's one more thing, I guess, for this is that it seems like you have had some pretty cool experiences, like through your career, that are a hundred percent from work. Yeah, and I think a lot of that just comes from you having that attitude, like, yeah, dude, I'll do it. I'll. Uh, I'll take on that project, you know? Yeah. I was like, you were working on 1975 American crane. I'm like, Nope, but it looks like I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's all nuts and bolts, right? <laughs> yeah. Bring it on, man. That's awesome. Um, one thing I like to ask everyone is, uh, what's your favorite energy drink? If you drink them? Well, right now I've been kind of bouncing back and forth between the bang fruit punch or the Rockstar Zero Sugar Rock Punch, or Fruit Punch. Dude, those bangs will light you up. Oh, yeah, man. Those things are straight meth in a can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, this I, 
actually wrote this one down. I don't write very much, very much stuff down, but uh, what's your advice to younger guys uh, with the tool trucks? Because I've seen some Ooh. people get into some trouble with that. Yeah. See, you definitely need to be slightly frugal with that. But one thing that was told to me that will always stick with me is if you have to borrow something more than once, you need to buy it. Yeah. Um, but definitely take your time because at, at one point I was strung out on, on three trucks. You know, I had Cornwall Mac and Snap on, and I was pushing out like 500 bucks every week on those tool trucks. And I only made I think like 15 bucks an hour at the time. Yeah. And it was, it was a, it was a real struggle there for, for quite a bit, um, for probably at least three, four years until I got a little bit smarter, but also my inventory was up and my, you know, wage was up, but yeah, definitely try to be slightly frugal with that. Yeah. All that shiny stuff gets expensive. Yes, it does. That's why like, I don't know. Everybody kind of freaked out. I had that big old Epic and I wound up selling that to a buddy of mine and everybody's like, what's going on, man? I'm like, I'm just tired of paying, you know, it was only a hundred bucks a week, but like there's four or five weeks in a month. And I'm just like, "Eh." you know, the way things are going right now, that's kind of a lot of money. Yeah. You see, that's, that's how I look at it. I was like, Oh man, it's only a hundred bucks a week. Cause I've got a big snap on toolbox, toolbox hot August nights edition, you know, and it was super cool. And yeah. I was like, ah, it's only, it's only a hundred bucks a week. And then when you, you know, like you said, when you actually start thinking about it, it's like, this is like a car payment at the end of the month. Right. And that's kind of what got to me, dude. Is like, this thing is badass. It's really nice to work out of all of my crap is in one box, but like, I, you know, I'm at a point now, like my daughter's three, like I want to go out and live a little bit of life on the weekends and, you know, give her some experiences that she can remember for a long time, dude. And it's a lot easier to do that when you just have a Harbor Freight roll cart and a Husky box, dude. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely a good point. Like for me now, you know, I don't, I don't spend any money on the tool trucks, you know, cause I've got my camper and I like to take my kids camping. I actually just recently bought a double axle enclosed trailer for, hunting camp in Idaho and uh, I've been I believe it or not I've been going on eBay dude like if there's there's, yeah if there's something that I need that's like a special tool that you know it's like some like something that I just don't have you know that like life would be easier if I had it I'll just go on eBay and buy it I mean you can get you sometimes you can get brand new snap-on stuff for you know half the cost dude that's legitimately where my three-quarter inch impact gun came from is eBay yeah. And I, I think I paid like 350 bucks for it. And I'm pretty sure I was the first one to put an air fitting in it. Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> like you just gotta be patient, but like I've got enough tools too that, and I've been different places. So like our snap on guys, not going to know like what I bought from snap on and what I bought from eBay. No, 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 they don't. And I don't know. I've been buying snap on stuff from the tool trucks for so freaking long now. I don't even care what they think anymore. Yeah, I'm getting there. Ours, I mean, it really depends on who your dealer is. 
because yeah that's a good point like my first snap-on dealer i started buying snap-on from him and he was great like if you had something that was broke he would take it out of a set that he had on the truck and when he got the new one in he'd just replace his yep but like the guy that we have now you're like hey dude i really need this 3 allen you know just a regular allen wrench the ball end one he's like yeah i'm gonna have to order it i'm like dude you got two sets of them over here can i just take one he's like no I'm like, all right, dude. Well, I'm going to go down and get something that somebody will actually help me out with, you know, because that's like my main Allen wrench for line boring. Yeah. See, my my snap on dealer that I deal with now, if I have, you know, brokens or if I just happen to run into him and I want to buy something, he's the same way. Like, he'll just pull something out of a brand new set. Super good guy. Very personable. Never an issue if you break something. He never asks you, like, oh, you're using that as a pry bar. Like, you know, it's like, you don't care. Yeah, I'll, I'll literally, cool. like, rat, throw him a ratchet, and I'll be like, dude, I had a 10-foot pipe on it. Sorry. He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem, dude. And throws a kid in it. That's cool. But, you know, that's also other things that I keep on my truck. Like, I have I have four of every ratchet, and I also keep rebuild kits for those ratchets. Right. You know, because it's like you, you never know when you're going to be on the tundra and you need that ratchet. You yeah, if you're three hours from civilization, you kind of need to be able to fix your own stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got new veins and stuff for air guns. I got all kinds of nonsense that I don't even know where half of it's even at anymore. Yeah, but if you looked hard enough, you'd probably find it. Yeah, I'd find it when I when I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it goes, though. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add maybe for, you know, young guys coming up in the trade or girls or anything else? Well, I mean, the only thing that I can really say is to, is to definitely work hard and, you know, like the, the number one thing about being a mechanic is being 100% conclusive. Um, you know, in this, this modern day equipment, it's, it's starting to get slightly harder. Um, because like you can have a controller that goes out and like really good mechanics. They, they really want to know like what went out in that controller, like what driver, like what was the problem that, that happened with this? But in reality, you'll never know, you know, like you just, you won't know. Right. Um, but a lot of the, a lot of the stuff is just being conclusive. You know, they don't change an alternator because it's not charging, you know, it, it takes power to make power. There's, there's all kinds of simple little things that you, it really will make you strive, you know, you know, if, you know, same thing. Like if you're going to work on a piece of equipment that's not charging and you know, if you don't, let's say it's just a broken wire. It's not getting excited. You're a hero at that point. Instead of going, well, the alternator's bad. It's going to take three days to get it, you know, and you're going to have downtime and this and that, you know, like always try to be conclusive and really dig in there and try to figure it out and understand what you're doing. If you don't understand what you're doing, you're going to struggle. Um, take the time, take a book home, you know, read it while you're sitting on the toilet. That's what I used to do. I had those big, huge cat manuals and I, I wouldn't even be working on like a D nine high track. And I'd just be sitting there going through the book, like just reading it and looking at it. Um, not understanding a whole lot of what I was reading either. Right. I just knew that this was something I wanted to do. And if I wanted to do it. I had to work hard. Yeah. I think some of that's getting lost too anymore. Is that like, you can learn so much doing the job hands-on, but there's a whole lot more you can learn from, you know, a multitude of other sources. Like I even found metallurgy lectures on YouTube 
like they're full on like college oh, yeah. lectures, you know, and I used to sit and I'd watch them, dude. There's like 12 of them, I think it was. But yeah, like, once nope. you can understand the theory, like at least for me, once you can understand the theory of metallurgy, then it can help you a lot when you're making repairs on like uh, high strength alloys or like even quench and tempered alloys like loggers really love T1, but there's a lot that goes into using that in, in actually like on parts, you know what I mean? Cause if you need something that's going to flex a little bit, that's probably not going to be your first choice. No. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Well, cool, man. I really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, yeah, I know we've been trying to get this for a couple of weeks, but I've been, my life has kind of been upside down lately for no good reason. So I appreciate you being patient with me. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, I definitely know how that goes. Sure. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad everything worked out and, um, glad my Wi-Fi held up long enough to where I didn't completely lose you. So yeah, dude, I appreciate it, man. I'll, uh, I'll shoot you a text. I gotta get a picture for the episode art. So, okay. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate it, man. And we'll talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good evening. You too, James. Thanks. You bet. Bye.